You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and artists from around the world. My name is Zach Lupatin. This week on the show, I bring you a very special two-part conversation I had with a folk jazz visionary whose playfully powerful voice is an instant sonic antidote to the toxic blues in the news, and whose throwback cinematic sound is anything but nostalgic. In fact, she sounds so blissfully old-school sometimes, it's actually futuristic. Ladies and gentlemen, Kat Edmondson. Do you get the feeling that your life had a part one and a part two? After I went back and listened to the first part of the recording I did with Kat in early March, I knew that I had to catch up with her in her Brooklyn lockdown now, or it wouldn't be right. She's a different person now. We all are, right? So we will bring you one conversation from the time before, when we would convene carefree with comrades in red velvet curtained pleasure houses like Largo at the Coronet, that dusty remnant of vaudeville past still swaying six nights a week between Trader Joe's and the neon-handed fortune-teller windows and the sushi emporiums and the kebab cabins of La Cienega Boulevard. Yes, in that time before the COVID-19 shutdown, when we would cram into a backstage mirrored cubby and record stories into a microphone that felt meaningless and yet feels so important now. Apropos of nothing, do you ever watch Seinfeld episodes on reruns now and feel like it's a different world that they're in? And that was pre-9-11 New York, where you could make an entire show about nothing, about sitting at the diner with your friends talking about nothing, and it meant everything. I miss the meaninglessness, the carefreeness of our time before when you would go to the apple pan here in LA and sit crammed between people waiting for a burger to slide in front of you from the grill. It didn't matter that none of the cooks or the waiters who'd been working there for 40 years ever wore gloves or masks. Those hickory burgers tasted like heaven, and that was enough. That little piece of nothing felt like everything. So back to the point. The second part of this interview will be a talk I had with Kat recorded a few days ago during the now times, you know, where we don't really know what day it is or what our purpose or point is, this strange limbo which may go on for weeks or months or years. That's where I caught up with Kat, sheltered in place, trying to stay creative and not be too freaked out as the epicenter of the pandemic roils around her in New York. Look, anyone who really knows me knows that I'm a music fan first above all else, and I happen to be so obsessed with good songs that I try and write my own and it's kind of become a living. But for me, Kat's music is personal and emotional. Is there a song that makes you cry the moment it comes on every time? Not to get cheesy, but I don't cry at things. And yet that song for me is Lucky by Kat Edmondson. Did I have that as my first dance song at my wedding? Yes, because somehow in three minutes, it captures the way I felt falling in love with my wife. I don't know how to describe it, but Edmondson has a way of creating new songs that sound so old they danced out of your grandmother's tweed wrap transistor when she had sparks in her eyes and she would slide along the JCC ballroom floors in a cocktail dress after the war was over and the men were home and the babies were booming. And she takes old songs like When You Wish Upon a Star from the 1940 Disney adaptation of Pinocchio and she makes it so new that it twists and turns in your head. Did she turn it into a sinister samba where the idea of wishing for your dreams to come true is a revolutionary act? A rebellion against the hardness and sadness and emptiness of our universe? Maybe. So right now, if you're feeling down and helpless and empty and alone, I recommend one heavy dose of Cat Edmondson to lift your spirit and change your perspective. And man, I need a change of perspective because live music and the things that I love seeing in person, in public, well, they're not going to be around for a while. And as always, please check in on what your favorite bands are doing. We just got word that almost all of our music festival dates have been canceled going into the fall. And if you dig what our squad, Dust Bowl Revival, is up to, please consider going online, taking home a double purple vinyl, donating at Dust Bowl Revival on Venmo, or better yet, look at one of the fun videos we just recorded, like the song Queen Quarantine, and share it with your friends and family. It seems simple, but it really means everything. Well, that's enough of me going on and on. Please stay safe, stay home, turn up the speakers loud, and enjoy one of my favorite singers ever on Spaceship Earth, Kat Edmondson. When you rush around in hopeless circles 
searching everywhere for something true. You're at the age of not believing when all the make believe is through. When you set aside your childhood heroes and your dreams are lost upon a shelf. You're at the age of not believing, and worst of all, you doubt yourself. You're a castaway where no one hears you on a barren island in a lonely sea. Kat Edmondson, and I sing, and I write songs, and I imagine things, and... You, you dream as dreamers do? I do. I, I was telling you as I walked in that your new record, Dreamers Do, feels like the perfect, joyful medicine for our dark times. It's so almost the opposite of what you hear on the radio, whether it's the news or anything else, that it's this sort of effervescent champagne cocktail of a record that makes no sense and yet makes total sense. I love that. I love that description. It's like the Eiffel Tower in an album. Wow. It's like Do you know beautiful... they hated the Eiffel Tower right. at first? They, France did not... Yeah, they're like, why it. is this here? Yeah. Tell me about the reason you wanted to bring back some of these film songs into a sort of this jazz world that you conjure? Bringing back the songs was never part of my agenda. In fact, I was having a, a very personal conflict of, um, of me struggling in the pursuit of my own dreams. And I had this question that was very heavy and it wouldn't leave me, which was, is there ever a point when it's too late to dream? Because mm -hmm. I started to feel like maybe I'd passed the point. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a point in, in anyone's life where dreaming is impractical or irrelevant based on one's circumstances? And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a rather discouraging question in the first place. But I, I just naturally went back to music of my childhood, mm. not even necessarily understanding why. I mean, I, I guess I thought I was seeking comfort, mm -hmm. but in returning to these old films and this music, I learned a lot. Um, I mean, first of all, these songs are quite instructional. You know, they're like, if you do A, you will get B and C. So when you wish upon a star, your dreams will come true, and mm -hmm. here's how. Have faith, you know no matter what. Even if you're grieving, smile, blah, blah. You know, these are like s s 
steps to take. Right. And I took them quite literally as a child at the age of four when I watched them the first time, you know, like, okay, that's mm. what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to do it. And I didn't really question it. And I think um, far beyond when most people start questioning things like fanciful dreams in their life, mm. I just kept following that route. Like, yeah, A, B, and C. Mm. Got it. Check. I'm still doing it. But recently I began to struggle. And so so I started listening to this music. And it was, it was then that I actually thought, I want to sing this stuff. And, and I want to reinterpret it. Well, you know, some of your most played songs on the interwebs are these reinterpretations of songs we think we know so well. You know, Summertime for example, is haunting in the way that you do it. And I saw you actually play it opening for Lyle Lovett at Disney Hall. Mm -hmm. Just oh. you and a guitar player. Yeah. I actually won tickets from KCRW. Whoa, that's crazy you were there. And I was in the balcony, and I had a show about a mile away that night, and I was like, well, I can see about 36 minutes of her show, and then I have to, like, bolt to my sound check. But I was so pumped that I was able to fit it in. And just, like, feeling the hair on the back of my neck stick up during that summertime rendition because it was like where is this version coming from it feels like again there's this deep melancholy and spooky spooky halloween vibes <laughs> going on which i think you brought into uh one of your original songs also from the new record um someone's in the house someone's in the house yeah. right what was that noise the creaking of the floor Can't remember now If I lock the door Is someone in the house? Don't know how Perhaps I should I could get up and see But I don't want to go I feel like if Get Out <laughs> or or Us had like an alternate soundtrack, I want Jordan Peele to contact you yeah, after this show. That would be great. But th there's this haunting kind of uh, yet playful yeah. vibe to that song where you're suspicious that someone has come into your space, but maybe you're just paranoid or maybe it's like a wild beast or a ghost. Who knows, you know? Tell me about that song. Yeah, I, I wrote that song. I started writing it in 2010. I wrote all the music for it, but I didn't have any lyrics for it. I didn't know what it would be about. I also I actually thought it would be a political commentary um, for a long time. But then when I was making this record, I realized it was the perfect music to convey that experience that we have when we wake in the middle of the night to a noise and we don't know if it's something that we dreamt or if someone's actually in the house. Right. So, um, actually, when I when I wrote it, I was sure every time I worked on it that I was at home alone by myself and it was late. And I got into that space of just being totally freaked out so that I could, you know, write it in, in, its, in, in like, the most authentic way. It was a very method way of approaching What is the film with Audrey Hepburn when she's older and she's blind? Wait Until Dark. Yeah. There's some reason it, it reminded me of, of like a, almost a, a blind lady. I love that. Only reacting with her ears and her auditory senses. And yeah. it's this helpless feeling. It's dark. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, well, it becomes very yeah. visceral when you're in that yeah. state of fight or flight, you know? And, and then in the middle of the night... It doesn't matter really what you're thinking about. Everything is compounded. Yeah. So, you know, God forbid, someone actually may be in the house. I right. mean, your imagination just goes, boom, you know? I want you to read that part, the creaking of the floor, can't remember if I locked the door, like it's a poem for, like, All Saints Day. What was that noise? A creaking of the floor? I can't remember now if I locked the door. Is someone in the house? Oh no. Perhaps I should, I could get up and see, but I don't want to go. 
<laughs> we also like have <laughs> these things that you use your breath as like a percussive element in a lot of these songs. You know, where there's like these sharp intakes of breath, but they're like a drum, mm -hmm. you know? Um, what was the song that I wanted to reference also with that? Um, oh, yeah, it's it's When You Wish Upon a Star. You're, you know, you're doing these ahs, you know, like with this. If your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme. Actually, when I was doing that in the studio, I was just, I hadn't planned what to put there. Yeah. And I imagined this song being rather produced. Right. Unlike most of the songs on the record, which might be thoroughly arranged, like Chim Chim Cheree. We did a very specific orchestral arrangement for that, and What a Wonderful World, same thing. But we're a jazz ensemble, so I don't typically, like, produce things from start to finish. I made a record with Mitchell Froom once and that was very produced. Which record was that? The Big Picture. Yeah. But with this song, I it, I heard it, you know, like this it was a poppier kind of thing. Right. And, but I, I wouldn't say that's my expertise, so I thought like what are we what are we going to do here? And we're in the studio with a West African harp and a tabla player. A tabla, yeah. Guitar, bass, drums and and me. And we're like, okay, let's just do this. We had we had like a few hours to do this song. Really, that's all we yeah. allotted for recording this. And and I I figured like we might like dub something in. So I just started going, <laughs> and I was hearing the stones in my head, mm. cause like, you know, like <laughs> you know that kind of. Or the <laughs> Sympathy for the devil as it, you know. Sure. Yeah. No, it was more it was more yeah. miss you. Is yeah. it yeah. And so I was just being the stones, you know. Okay. To fill in the gaps. But we kept it. And I started overdubbing actually my own vocals over that part. Rolling Stones and Pinocchio. Yeah, right? Who doesn't want they that? They should always be combined. Yeah. <laughs> but that song has these haunting refrains, you know, uh, the secret longing uh, you know, no request too extreme. Mm -hmm. you know, these sort of things that you wouldn't think a child would be listening to. Right. Well, actually, the old Disney films were quite sophisticated, and I think we can all agree now, rather disturbing. Yeah. In content. Pinocchio was one of the uh, was one of the Disney films that I had to take out of rotation because it was too scary. Too scary for me. For some like reason. Like for your kid? Or <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't have a child. That I know of. <laughs> but it was like not one of the ones that was okay. Well, I, you Pinocchio know, and Dumbo were too much for me. So much of, so many of the fairy tales that the Disney movies were based on, like Grimm's fairy tales, were right. incredibly dark about children being eaten. And right. Things like that. And, I mean, I think children are uh, more sophisticated than we. Oh, yeah presume them to be, especially these days. It seems like the censoring is even stronger, uh, it's like somewhat more oppressive, like the diluting of content and stuff for kids, but that's neither here nor there. Does it feel, having been around for a little while, and you've, you know, gone from the place where your some of your records were on major label mm -hmm. situations and, and you put out records yourself, does it feel like there's that constant whiplash happening as an artist? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how do you deal with that? There's great ups and downs. You write a song called Too Late to Dream and then you make yeah. a record about it. Yeah. That's really how I've been dealing with it. Yeah. Through this album. But I've I've learned so much about myself to really get to the heart of the matter very quickly. Like I was I was I had all sorts of expectations and in this business I don't have to tell you. You learn very quickly that like every everything is fair weather. Mm. You know, it's just like and and the good, great things that come disappear very quickly and and the things that you didn't anticipate that you weren't mm -hmm. ready to take on just like mm. hang around. And and everything in between. I mean, it's it's very roller coaster. Yeah. And um and I'm I have a 
pretty solid constitution. I can, I'm, I can handle things, mm-hmm. and I and I love um, to confront challenging situations. Mm-hmm. But um, most recently, it was after um, I split apart from Sony. I was really having a lot of self doubt. I was mm. just like, "What does this mean about me and my career?" And was it a mutual split or was it a, well, a nasty it, split? It was a little bit of both, actually. Yeah. I was really happy to be on my own again because right. there was I was bound up so much at the label, mm-hmm. um, and really not feeling like I could do anything there. Mm. But I also came to find out like. When I say fair weather, like how many people are sometimes exclusively interested in you because of the company that you're keeping. It mm. really wasn't about you. So that was kind of an ugly thing to mm. confront. Mm. Um, and I really didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. But I'm, I'm, I'm now finding actually, maybe I projected some of that. Mm. Because even though things suddenly changed and... Like, all of the fanfare I felt like I was getting seemed to disappear. Mm. Uh, It suddenly seems to be coming back, being on the road and having this Mm. album out. And and I wonder how much of, like, all of the internal struggle that I was having, I was projecting onto everything around me. Mm. I mean, I really... I really felt like there was something wrong with me Mm. um, after... Essentially, they didn't want to put out my last record, so I ended up putting it out by myself. Mm. And I, I was just heartbroken. Like I'd done something wrong. Did they think they were you were supposed to have like a hit of some sort, or like was it were they trying to put you into a pop direction that you didn't necessarily feel like you fit in? Those things for sure, but also, um, actually, the uh, everyone at the office turned over. Like the, mm. the person that signed me. The two people that signed me, one of them was let go like a year before I left, and then the second one got let go. So it was like everyone was leaving, and a new guy came in, and um, but I I didn't feel like I could blame it on that because also they were telling me things like, "Well, you made the wrong record," or <laughs> you know stuff like that, which is so ob- objective. It's like, yeah, how can you? So you know that yeah. kind of thing. It's just like, holy crap. What did I do, you know? I did, I did something wrong, and I don't even know what it is. It feels like you're walking around with, like, a huge pimple on your face or something, <laughs> and no one will tell you that it's there. Yeah. So that's how I felt. Right. But, um, but again, I'm, I'm kind of coming to find that maybe I... Yes, this business is hard, but maybe I kind of... That's how I was feeling on the inside, and so it kind of looked that way everywhere else I went mm. on the outside. Well, I think it's hard to get a taste of, not the big time, but like having real money and resources behind you and a team of people working for you. And all of a sudden, it's gone. Yeah. And it's just you and your music. Yeah. Which is powerful enough, but I think as you and I both know, a lot of like, especially press and the fanfare you're talking about, it's, it's so paid funny. for. Yeah. Right? It's, it's so funny, too, because... When you're when it's all happening, everyone is like, kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Yeah. You are the best. You are the I'm greatest. So happy for all your this success. This is wonderful. You're going so far. We knew it. We always knew it. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then one day, it's just like, can't get somebody on the phone. Yeah. No one's taking your call. And you're like, holy crap. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Blowing in the wind. Well... What do you do in between album cycles? Because you don't tour all the time. I mean, it seems like you're definitely home for a bit yeah. you know, between records. You know, I'm an actress. I was in a couple of movies. Nice. One being a Woody Allen film. And after the experience of that, I remembered, like, oh, yeah, I was going to do this, like, the same way that I've done music. Mm-hmm. I was going to pursue acting, and I just hadn't gotten around to it. So... I actually went back to school when I was making my last record, Old Fashioned Gal. Mm. And I was studying full-time at the Esper Studio Mm. in Manhattan. I was studying Meisner technique. And I go on auditions and stuff. Mm. And I write. um, Because if there's one thing more secure than the music industry, it's it's being an actor. Isn't that terrible (laughs) when your plan B is like, I'll just act. 
my mom actually told me I could do anything I wanted. And, and I remember I had this little plastic orange doctor's kit mm -hmm. that said Dr. Catherine on it. And, and she's like, you can do anything you want. You know, and of course she's like, here's a little doctor's kit. Her dad was a doctor. And and I would carry it around and I was like, I'm going to be a doctor, Mom. She's like, that's great. And then I actually had a very specific experience in which I realized I was going to perform. And What was that moment? I was watching Singing in the Rain. And upon seeing Gene Kelly, I remember this moment. I remember it so well, where I was sitting. How old were you? In the room, four years old. Wow, that's very young. And I, I knew it. I suddenly knew it as like, so, as though someone had whispered it into my ear. Mm. Was there, besides singing in the rain, was there a certain artist that really, you know, or, or a song or something that really made you want to be a singer specifically? Well, s singing in the rain. I mean, Gene Kelly singing that song. Mm. I still am amazed when I listen to him sing it. It's just perfect. Um, Bing Crosby, mm -hmm. Danny Kaye, Bob Hope. It was a lot of the crooners. Mm. Frank Sinatra, mm. Judy Garland. She stood out to me. A lot of the other ladies in the films were... Um, Yeah, you know, they had a lot of trill, and I couldn't understand why they sang that way. Now, <laughs> actually, I appreciate it now. I like I like that sound now. But as a kid, I was like, Meh, what's that, you know? So that's who I was paying attention to. And then Doris Day, Debbie Reynolds, they had these beautiful bendy. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> Tammy. I loved Debbie Reynolds and Tammy. Mm. Did you grow up in Houston, or you? Uh -huh. Yeah, and were were you in like school musicals and stuff like that? Not really, no, no. But I kind of like lived in one in my head. Did you have a band in high school? No, no, not even. I didn't know anyone that was pursuing, like, I mean, people were in choir, but I didn't like yeah. that. I was like, meh. I don't want to like sight read or yeah. go to rehearsals and stand like that and make faces like that. I was that. hoping you had like a secret punk rock past. Nothing like that, in fact. <laughs> Although, I mean, I, I like rocked out to The Cure when I was <laughs> in high school, which is why I ended up covering a Cure song on one of my records. But no, I, I, was a, I was kind of a deviant child. It had nothing to do with music, really, except that I skipped school a lot to listen to music. But I was listening to like Frank Sinatra albums and actually Neil Young and Grateful Dead. Were you a stoner? I no, but I hung out with him. <laughs> stoner adjacent. Yeah, I liked everybody. I was skipping school listening to Sinatra. Yeah. <laughs> said, said no one ever. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't share that stuff with anyone. You know, I didn't know yeah. if it was cool or not. But I really couldn't stay in school, and I that wasn't like a peer situation. I wasn't like hanging out with people outside of school. I would just leave and go be by myself. What did you study in college? Actually, I only went to school for one year. So I didn't necessarily study anything in particular. I just, it was, you know, general studies in the beginning. That's why my theory still holds up. All successful people deep down are college dropouts. All the, the billionaires of the world, the great people, they just dropped out of college. Do you have a list? I can give you one. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite artists dropped out of college. Barely made it through high school, I think. Woody Allen. What was working with him like? He was great. He, um... Remind me what movie that was? Cafe Society. Cafe Society, yeah. Took place in the 1930s. I was a jazz singer. We pre-recorded all of the songs for the film, and so the idea was that I would lip-sync. Mm for all of these scenes. Um, but we also recorded like three different tempos of each song mm. and we're not told until we walked on the set which version it would be. Okay. And m me being an improviser, I, did, I didn't sing the same thing on each of those three songs. When you've right. got a different tempo, you have to alter the way that you sing the song. And 
in, as far as I go. So I sang, you know, like off the cuff in all of these different ways. And so there was no way for me to remember what it was that I sang. And so I found lip syncing mm. to my own recording very difficult. Yeah. Um, I can't scat in time to this. And as a result of that was like horrified because he's my favorite artist and much less director like he's, yeah. I just he does it for me as far as writer comedian just like his point of view so I thought you know this is my chance I can right. get in front of this person and and maybe he'll hire me to work again yeah. because he's famous for doing that right and I was up there and I was just flubbing all of these sync moments yeah. you know and and I thought well if that's all I'm standing here doing and I'm doing a horrible job how is he gonna yeah. like me at all and I was really depressed but about four days into filming I was sitting in my trailer thinking they're not going to need me anymore and they certainly aren't going to want to use me and I got a knock on the door and somebody said Woody wants you on the set you know he wants to see if he wants to add a scene and he wants to see if you can do it mm. and I knew before we even walked out of the trailer, I was like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it really well. She's going to be a star. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to make you a star. <laughs> so I, we, I went on, on the set, and he was like, what songs? What songs do you know? And I was like... All of them. I, was, I had no idea. My yeah. mind went completely yeah. blank. I'm standing there with him, you know, as close as we're sitting, and I was just like, I don't know. I know this Cure song. Right. <laughs> so his producer jumped in. We're all trying to brainstorm. And, and then I remembered all the songs we've been doing are Rogers and Hart. Do you want a Rogers and Hart tune? And then his producer said, what about Jeepers Creepers? And I said, I've never sung it before, but I think I can do it. So I looked at the words. I knew the song. They made me a costume in 30 minutes. And when, then we shot this scene. It's the only scene in the film that's not pre-recorded so right. they couldn't put it on the soundtrack but it's right. in the movie and and no surprise it's the most natural take <laughs> yeah. of all of them I mean you know there's been a lot of obviously controversy around him and, and unsubstantiated claims versus his side are you able to separate the art from the artist or do you feel like it's just so personal that it's hard to do that I, I am, and I always have been. Incidentally, like in my experience of being on the set, just what I witnessed, um, and you have to take in like your personal experiences to the whole thing, his, his crew has been with him. It's a very small crew. Everyone's working for union scale. There's nothing pretentious happening on the mm -hmm. set. It's not like a Hollywood set. Yeah, it's like a craftsman. You know, it's like... And everyone, like, we were, we were, I was sharing the same trailer with all of the lead actors in the film. Mm. And everyone's there to be together and to do their best. It's mm. really unusual. Yeah. And the people that have been working for him, which is like a hand, just a handful of people, I know them well now, mm. um, have been with him for decades. Mm -hmm. And I think that really speaks to him. Yeah. And who he is as, as a person. But also his family was there every day and... There was no kind of discord or nothing challenging or conflicting anywhere. Right. Uh, so I did notice that. Mm -hmm. But also, um, we're still grappling with this uh, in, in, for all art right now and books and whatever. We're still grappling with how we feel about censorship. Mm. And um, I don't know. I, I think all art is relevant, and I think it's okay mm -hmm. as art, you know? Um, I, I think it's okay. I don't, I'm not really for a lot of censorship in general. Have you ever had to deal with a heckler at a show or someone who's very inappropriate? I have, but they were big fans. Uh -huh. <laughs> so they're a lot more easy to deal with than... Like shouting for one song in between, because that happens a lot. You know, it's like they love one song from twenty years ago, and they're super unhappy if you don't play that song. Yeah, and they will let you know when you <laughs> yeah. let them down. <laughs> what is the song that people shout at you that they really want to hear? It's actually changed with every tour. Lucky is the, is yeah. the one, but at every tour I get something new. This this time everyone's asking for canoe. 
from my last record. Everyone wants mm. to hear Canoe. It's got these... I created personalities for various insects in this song, and I, they really like this song. I'm curious how you create a set list for your shows. I talk a lot. I created, a, I think, around what I want to talk about. I mean, um, I when I start, I just, like, throw things at the wall. Like, I'll just do my first show of the tour, and I'll just make a set list and not have any idea what I'm doing, and then I'll start to talk. And I realize what it is that I'm interested in talking about mm. will dictate the way the next show will go. So I'm mm. like, oh, I like talking about that, so I'm going to put this song here so I can talk about that before I talk about this. And so the whole thing is about me talking, and then I, you know, sequence it that way. Yeah, it's like you're you're creating it like a play with music. Yeah, I, I'm working toward that, actually. I think I'm creating a, like a one-woman show right now. I think I that's what's that. happening. You should bring it to the Fringe Fest in Edinburgh, Scotland. That would be awesome. I have a friend that did a play there. I just went, we went to that uh, last summer for the first time, and there were some very powerful one-woman shows that made me think, I'm also a playwright, you know, like, why haven't I tried something like this? Like, why, why, like, why in my mind or is my music brain and my writing brain completely separate brains? Right. Like, why don't we just bring these together? It yeah. makes sense, you know? Yeah. What do you think your one-woman show is going to be about? I think it has a lot to do with what my show tonight is going to be about and what we're talking about. Like, I actually talk a lot about my experiences as, as a young kid and discovering what it was that I was going to do and then what it's been to pursue a dream and... And how that can t take a left turn or mm. lots of left turns. And, and what does it all mean? Which kind of brings me to what it is that I've actually learned from making this record. And, and what I've learned from my struggles with dreaming. I, I think I've cracked something mm. for myself. Every point in which I've tried to make my dream a means to something else, mm. I've struggled. A means to something else. A means to anything else. A means... Like, oh, this will make me a bunch of money and this will make me famous or stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it takes away the, the shine of the dream in a way. And suddenly the dream... Suddenly you can become disappointed in the dream. Mm -hmm. Or yourself or whoever you can blame. But suddenly the dream isn't has let you down. It's, it's not what you thought it was. You know, poor me. A dream is actually a state of mind. To mm. be in, in the place of dreaming, to be actively dreaming. It's like, it's like love. Mm -hmm. Love is a is a state of being. Mm. You know. Um. So, it, when when you're a child and you have a dream, it's so wonderful and it's it's so abundant for you because. You don't need it to be anything else. Yeah. You don't need to know how it's going to happen. No. And, you, yeah, you don't need to know what it's going to look like or what it's going to yield. You're just thrilled to have the dream. And I and I want to remind people, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's something that I'm remembering now, and I, I want people to remember it too. How did you choose from all the songs in Singing the Rain that all I do is dream of you? Well, it has the word dream in it. So I remembered that. <laughs> yeah. But also, I remember learning that song. I remember watching Gene Kelly on the screen and knowing that I was going to be just like him. Mm. Whatever that, is, that, that is, meant to my four-year-old brain. That is fascinating. That you, yeah, you were like, I want to be like him, not like Debbie Reynolds. Right. But then I saw her. Yeah. And I was like, oops. She's a girl, and so am I. Am I supposed to do what she's doing? Am mm. I? I remember wondering, am I yeah. supposed to wear a bathing suit and jump out of a cake? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I'll cover that too. I'll just do what, I'll do both of their stuff. Yeah. So I learned that song, and it's always been one that I love. And when I started working on all this material, I just knew how I would approach that song immediately. So it was very easy to make that choice. That is the song she sings when she pops out of the cake, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The one where she's wooing Gene Kelly, which also made a great impression on me. <laughs> yeah. In order to woo him, I must 
wear a bathing suit and jump out of a cake. <laughs> Do you feel like you've always wanted to push against gender norms? No, but I've always felt uh, that I couldn't be limited by being a female. Mm. If, if that had limitations. I mean, mm. being a female is very powerful, but I felt I had the power of a man mm. as much as I had the power of a woman. Mm. You know, over the last few days since Elizabeth Warren was forced to drop out of mm -hmm. the presidential race, I canvassed for her with some people because I thought she would be the best candidate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's far beyond time that 50% of the population is represented in the White House after 250 years of mm -hmm. old white guys. Not to go off on that tangent, but it is incredible to see people's bias presented to you mm -hmm. going door to door. Mm -hmm. People go like, well, I really like her, but, but she's not going to have the same chance as yeah. Joe Biden or Bernie. So. I want to vote for her, but I'll vote for them instead. But, but that's the same, on this subject of dreams, that's yeah. the same way that everyone is making their life decisions. It's like, well, I would love to do that, but that's not practical, yeah. so yeah. I'm going to do this instead. And that, that's, that's where most people feel safe, and so we're seeing that. We're seeing that frame of mind in people's choices, political and otherwise. That's why we have to keep... Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming and, yeah. and voting for the ones that we love. What is the thing that you do when you're feeling down, when you're feeling lost, that lifts you up? Is it listening to your favorite artist? Is it? I watch Turner Classic Movies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the best resource for for movies these days because um, I like old movies I I write I take walks in the park are you based in Austin New York City oh, you're, in okay. Brooklyn okay I cook a lot like if it were an ideal day I'd go into the park I'd take a really long walk or Prospect Park uh-huh yeah I live not far from there I'd sit among the trees and see what they'd have to say mm-hmm and then I would stroll home and cook all day with Turner Classic Movies going in my kitchen. And what is your signature recipe? I can make a really, really good salad. Mm. Like, I can make a salad. Are you vegetarian? No, not at all. But I can make a salad better than most people have ever made you a salad What's in the, what, what are the secret ingredients? It always changes. It, I just, I, I use whatever's in season. Mm. I use a lot of fresh herbs. I combine mm. a lot of, like, I'll put, like, mint in a salad with mm. something savory, like mint and parsley and cilantro and um, and onions, like various types of mm. onions or fresh garlic, spring garlic or something. Um, peppercorns. It's the type of oil I use or the type of lemon. Mm. Something light and just bursting with flavor. I think like making my own dressing for salads in the last like year is like changed everything. It really changes the game, doesn't it? You're like, oh, I can make whatever type of flavor I want for a salad. Welcome to your adult life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do one creative exercise and then we'll get the song going because I know you've got to do sound check oh, probably. Yeah. Okay. I want you to think, first thing that comes to your mind, when I say the following things. It could be anything from your life, a song, a movie, but don't think too hard. Okay. Okay. Distant drum. Bum bum. Like a heartbeat. Down the well. Alice. What's the Alice in Wonderland song you do on the record? In a world of my own and very good advice. Mm. Do you identify with Alice? Yes. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Ominous stroll. When you wish upon a star. 
broken rainstorm. I'm old-fashioned. It's a song by Jerome Kern, and I don't, I mean, you said whatever you think of, right? There's a line, um, the sound of rain upon my window pane. Mm. And it's a longing for that sound. And I don't know why that has anything to do with a broken rainstorm, except this is stream of thought. Did you record that on Old Fashioned Gal? No, I didn't. I only came to really know that song after I wrote Old Fashioned Gal. I mean, I, I was making like a subtle reference to the song. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Songbook is my background, but I really never paid attention to it. So I thought, well, if I'm writing a song called Old Fashioned Gal, referencing that song, I should get to know that song. And, and so I, I did. I went and saw the movie with Fred Astaire and Rita Hayworth mm. where he sings that song with her. And, um, oh, I love it. It's, it's such a beautiful song. It made me cry. Mm. And so I've started to do it in my show along with the with this, uh, Old Fashioned Gal. All right, last one. Indications. Life signs. Hmm. Like a sign on the road? Like a sign on the path. Hmm. Like, that's what an indication is. Mm-hmm. Like, when something happens, it's indicative of something else. What is the first red flag in a new relationship that you see that you want to run for the hills? Someone that doesn't um, believe in pursuing their dreams. I, I can't I can't explain that to somebody that doesn't know intimately. I mean, mm. I'm constantly trying to cajole people into <laughs> getting intimate with their dreams and and, mm. and getting comfortable with the notion of following them, but but for someone that I'm in a relationship with, like a romantic relationship, I, I need them to understand because that's all I do every day. What song would you like to play? In a World of My Own from Alice in Wonderland. Great. Okay. Let's do it. Cats and rabbits would reside in fancy little houses and be dressed in shoes and hats and trousers in a world of my own. All the flowers would have very extra special powers. They could sit and talk to me for hours when I'm lonely in a world of my own. There'd be new birds, lots of nice and friendly howdy-do birds. Everyone would have a dozen bluebirds within that world of my own. I could listen to a babbling brook and hear a song that I could understand. I keep wishing it could be that way because my world would be a wonderland. Lots of nice and friendly howdy-do birds Everyone would have a dozen bluebirds Within that world of my own I could listen to a babbling brook And hear a song that I could understand I keep wishing 
It could be that way because my world would be a wonderland. La 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 So before we go any further, as promised, I want to give you a little excerpt of the conversation I had on the phone with Kat checking in with her during her quarantine in New York. Here we go. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, uh, I had to check in with you before uh, this episode goes to air because things have changed drastically since we last talked (laughs) in simpler times in early March. Right. Yeah. And... It's it's strange because a lot of these episodes that we recorded even a month ago almost feel like broadcasting from a different era or like a mm-hmm. different part of history, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to see if you could tell me a little bit about what you've been up to, you know, and you're in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the epicenter of a lot of this uh, scary stuff. So yeah. tell us a little bit what's been going on with you. Well, I've been home. Um, I've been here for the last. I guess it's five weeks now, um, and I haven't left the house more than three or four times since I've been home. um, My partner and I have been stocking up on groceries uh, so as to minimize the need to leave the house, and I'm just starting to perform from home. I, I did like a mini performance earlier on in the week. And this Sunday night, I'm going to do a 45-minute show from the apartment. And I'm going to be singing to my own tracks on my records. And I have some musician friends that are making tracks for songs that I've decided to cover. And and I'm using, like, whatever is in my house for production and, and, like, a set. You know, I'm I'm trying to create a show um, yeah. beyond just like you know, um, this is me in my living room singing a song. So we'll see what happens. I'm thinking of different ideas, and I feel like a little kid again when I was making shows in my mom's living room and singing for the parents, the adults that would come over. So we'll see. Did you see the new Little Women? Not yet. I really want to. It was fantastic. Um, but I conjured this image of you making that set, like those girls in the attic creating these entire tragedies, you know, sets from you know, Greek myth, <laughs> you right, know, yeah. in, in with, with the rags and, and tattered scraps that they could bring together. And it looked kind of even more magical than a professional set. Because sometimes what we can conjured together on our own is more personal. It's more um, us than, you know, the sterile backdrop of, you know, some venue somewhere. It's true. And I've noticed that as I've observed other people's posts um, and like shows or things that they're doing, I've, I've seen some of my friends start to post pictures of things in their house, which is so lovely because there's this opportunity now to really get personal, as you say, and intimate with people. I mean, there's so much of what we've become accustomed to is, you know, seeing everyone in their best light. This is me out in the world doing, you know, the very best at what I do here. And um, and I really like this crafty experience of, like, this. I chose this little painting I bought it at a flea market and here it hangs, you know, above the lamp in my room or something. I, I just love to see that. It's, it's something new and different that we're getting from people. So I hope to offer that. One thing that's happening every night, and I know it's happening in a lot of other places in New York and possibly around the country, is at 7 p.m., everybody screams out of their window or stands at their front door and bangs on pots and pans and things make some joyful noise and on our street 
there's a bass player, there's the woman that blows through a conch shell, and people are, you know, singing for about four, four minutes. That's awesome. Um, and I've never been so in touch with my neighbors and my community. Uh, and oddly, we're not really interacting more than this moment that we have together every night, but I look forward to it. It's my favorite part of the day. There are some nice things about this slowdown. You know, it feels like there's more connection between some of my friends that I don't normally talk to on a more intimate basis, you know? Yeah, me too. You know, these sort of FaceTime happy hours that we'll do every few days. Because a lot of times you're texting with folks or you'll see them maybe when you're coming through town on tour. But it's these limited little slices of time. And you don't actually have those moments where you're just kind of cleaning up the kitchen and talking to them for an hour. You know? Yeah. And I love that, frankly, and this I don't know if this sounds somewhat macabre, but I love that the the only urgency really right now is not to get sick and to stay alive. Mm. Um, I think that's a much more natural state for all of us because as things go, I think on a daily basis, we're all carrying around low-grade stress for a number of reasons. And most of those reasons are not important in the grand scheme of things. That's right. You know, in, in our immediate lives, there's just certain things that we've got to do and there's so many things that we just can't do right now. And I, and it's it's a luxury, really. I mean, when I set up vacations for myself, I typically like to go up to the mountains in the summertime. Um, my partner and I will go for like a week. And my agenda is to eliminate most everything on my schedule. It's, you know, it used to be to like go to some city and do a million things. And now it's go away and do nothing. Like just hike and cook, eat, hike, repeat, you know, and I'm, I'm enjoying this part of, of this. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to have feelings of love and joy and comfort amidst, you know, a storm. It's like, it's just a strange juxtaposition. If you could throw your first concert back in, quote unquote, real life, where would you throw it for your fans and your friends? I mean, if I could go back and play anywhere right now. Yeah. Carnegie Hall. (laughs) I mean, why not? Dream big. Okay. Carnegie Hall. Or a week at the Carlisle. Where's that? It's on the Upper East Side. Okay. It's a it's Cafe Carlisle. It's a tiny little room in the Hotel Carlisle. And uh it happens to be where Woody Allen plays every Sunday night, um, when there's not a virus. Uh, and has played for decades. But I've seen a lot of great artists there. And it's this tiny room with a with a piano that takes up the entire stage. And I want to play there. I haven't done it yet. Well, there you have it. Miss Kat Edmondson, everybody. You can go to katedmondson.com for her music and her tour dates. She's got some dates booked, I see, in the fall. Uh, October 15th in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. October 18th in Northampton, Mass. And uh, November 30th, Washington, D.C. December 1st in Annapolis, Maryland. So please look out for her. She's coming your way if we're ever allowed to tour ever again. Please go see her. She is magical. Speaking of magical, her new record is called Dreamers Do. Put it on your speakers. Drift away. We all need this right now. Trust me, it's that awesome. Remember, if you go to our Instagram page, Show on the Road Podcast, you will find really cool videos during these podcasts. Uh, I filmed Kat singing backstage at Largo in L.A., and um, our new website, theshowontheroad.com, has video archives of a lot of your favorite artists doing their thing. A couple weeks ago, we had a double episode Theo Katzman, and Joey Dasik of the funk group Wolfpack. Check that out. Really cool stuff on our archives, theshowontheroad.com. 
You may have noticed that last weekend my group Dust Bowl Revival put on our own virtual music fest. We called it Sway at Home. We are going to do another one in May with some of your favorite songwriters and out-of-work musicians. Check that out, coming soon. And if you go on bluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that Bluegrass Situation and Ed Helms have announced the Whiskey Sour Happy Hour. Yes, it is a 21st century online variety show to benefit Music Care's COVID-19 Relief Fund and Direct Relief. It will debut April 22nd. Look out for it. Some amazing artists that have been on the show, like Madison Cunningham, will be there. Whiskey, sour, happy hour. I'm definitely tuning in for that. Lastly, if you still have a job, God bless you. You're awesome. Donate to your favorite bands. Go on their websites, buy their merch. It really matters. We are not able to make a living right now as touring musicians, so you can help bands that you love survive. Our band, Dust Bowl Revival, has some really cool info on our website, dustbowlrevival.com, at Dust Bowl Revival on Venmo. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the show and telling your friends about it. There's going to be a really, really interesting artist in a couple weeks. Every other Wednesday, that's when these shows happen. Hold on to your butts. We're just getting started. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. <laughs>